This week, we cringe after watching the 2008 Gorefest Doomsday. And along the way, we ask how much gore is too much? Would you rather live in this universe or in 12 Monkeys? And what's up with cannibalism in the UK? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is sure to be another thrilling yet cringe fest of a episode here on the Force Fed Sci Fi Podcast. I am your host, Chris Rupp, and I am joined with my co host, the great, ever prevalent Sean Culp. Woo. Oh. You have that title on business cards? I do. Woo. It changes every month. See, I just have Office Peon on mine. Office Peon. Ooh. I actually. I for, call it like I see it. For my uh, Fifth Third Bank, whenever I load it into the ATM, it says the world leader, Sean Culp. Welcome. Wow. I know. certainly has a high opinion of themselves. It asked me what it wanted to call me. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to pick the most egotistical thing ever. Well, self-given titles aside, thank you everybody so much for joining <laughs> us on another episode here uh, where this week we have watched doomsday from 2008 and directed by british filmmaker neil marshall before we get into the cast and crew of the film what say we break down the plot of this movie right on man bear in mind consider this your spoiler alert warning as the statute of spoilers at least for me is five years and this movie is 11 years old so you've had time that's not, that's nice five years mine's mm-hmm. like maybe two weeks <laughs> not even i'll spoil the film so you'll sometimes. just walk into like a lunchroom and be like i'm gonna ruin shazam for everybody yes i used to do that on facebook oh you're so me. mean <laughs> oh yeah so anyway doomsday taking a page from many john carpenter films a group of commandos and scientists go into glasgow scotland 25 years after a deadly virus has ruined the city and killed off many of the population and they go in with the hopes that a cure can be found and society can be saved. So pretty lofty goals right off the bat. And let's just get this out of the way. Anytime you send in a group of commandos with a goal or objective like this, it rarely goes well. I've never seen a movie where everybody lives and everything is all happy. And It wouldn't be a movie, Chris. It wouldn't be a movie. That'd be like a made-for-TV movie, mm. like like a Hallmark holiday film. I would still wouldn't mind that movie. Every now and then you need something a bit uplifting. Something to pat you on the back. Right? And be like, yeah, you did good today. Good exactly. boy. Exactly. It's the film version of a cookie. Isn't that what parents are for, Chris? No. To lift you up? Oh, my. What, what parents do you have? I did not have that type of parents either. <laughs> I was just hoping that you had nice family. Your folks seem nice. Mm. Or they're or only or, only to those they don't that don't oh, know them. Or they're excellent liars. Uh huh. It's usually the. It's a bit of both. Little column A, little column B. Okay. Anyway, so as we said, this movie was written and directed by Neil Marshall, who does have some film credits before this. He did Dog Soldiers, which is a pretty good British horror movie with werewolves, and he did The Descent, which is uh, that I know of a cave I've monster of movie. I've never seen it. I've heard. I've seen the pictures, but I've never. However, he's mostly directed television. He's done episodes of Game of Thrones, Hannibal, Black Sails, Westworld. So not bad. Yeah, kind of sticking within the whole sci-fi action slash horror genre of television. Isn't he the guy that's doing the new Hellboy? Yeah. Yeah. No. 
Is that he's doing that? Are you yeah. not looking forward to that? Like, I, are you one of those? No one can replace Ron Perlman. Yeah, Ron Perlman's my Hellboy. He is, but he's old as heck, man. Ron, you're my Hellboy. Ron, yeah, he's gonna need a walker if mm-hmm. they made the third one. And Doomsday is starring Rona Mitra yes. as Eden Sinclair, the legendary Bob Hoskins. Rest in power, my Rest man. Rest in peace, man. Uh, Alexander Siddig as the Prime Minister. Um, David O'Hara, the Irish actor who has been a bit player in many, many films and television. Especially The Departed. Yes. Solid flick. Fitzy in The Departed, I think he was. That um, would be my movie recommendation of yeah, the week. Yeah, that's the non-sci-fi movie wreck of the week. Solid film, one best picture. You get to see Jack Nicholson, probably one of his last good roles of all time before he retired. Amazing Here's flick. the thing. It's not even the best Scorsese movie, and it's still amazing. It is. If, if you like gruesome death. That's a film. It's it's death done well. Lots of killing. I'm like, well, this film, they kill a lot, but yeah. it's not. It's Doomsday less and gory. The Departed have a lot in common when it comes to gruesome deaths. Yes. And rounding out this decent cast is also the legendary Malcolm McDowell, which you can't talk about British cinema without mentioning Malcolm McDowell in some way. Nah, man. He's great. He's going to be maybe two of our sci-fi films. He's in the Star Trek Generations, maybe, if mm-hmm. we ever get to that. And then and uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, classic. That's how he got his claim to fame mm-hmm. for a fun fact for you fun factors. <laughs> uh, we're fans of little uh, trivia tidbits here on the Force Fit Sci-Fi Podcast. Dude, I'm full of them. <laughs> I, I'm full of it. I don't know what that it is, but I'm full of it. Mm, full of something. So this movie was made on a budget of 17 million pounds. Mm-hmm. which, thanks to my currency converter, is $22 million. Wow. And adjusting for inflation, that is a modest $25 million in 2019 money. So it's a pretty decent budget for a movie like this. It's not huge. You're not going to get a ton of visual effects or any uh, huge names with the exception of Bob Hoskins and Malcolm yeah. McDowell to your cast, but you 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 can get a decent movie made for $22 million. And they did well. Shot very well. Shot beautifully, actually. Mm-hmm. Great scenes. Definitely serves as a tribute to a lot of science fiction and action films from the past, like Escape from yes. New York, Mad Max, The Warriors, and also some medieval action films as well like zulu Gladiator. actually zulu isn't a um, medieval film it's a great film starring michael kane if you have the chance to yes. watch that uh, the medieval film influences excalibur excalibur mm-hmm. i always i felt like gladiator though yeah there's there's some of that like the whole medieval like death scene like the torture what what was that basically where they're just fighting that was all yeah like, i glad- did expect I, malcolm mcdowell glad- to kind of do the joaquin theme yes, phoenix like yeah. thumbs down i was like where is this ah. but instead he just goes kill the hostages <laughs> like whoa dude that was just maybe a i writing. thought we were having fun here in the in the pit of misery here Th- they didn't want to totally rip off the uh, best picture yeah so this budget was actually triple what Neil Marshall had for his previous film. So oh, right on. he was fine. This I think this was his first decent chance to do something with a decent budget. Yeah, and he didn't do horribly. No, no, it's very like I said, very well done. Uh, the only lacking part is probably not even the direction and ending. The an ending, yes, the ending. It's just, lacking an ending big time. Yeah, that's the only. Bad you know why part. don't we do things a little differently this week? Why don't we talk about the ending first? Ooh, a nice little force-fed sci-fi switch them up. Mm-hmm. This, I love it. This ending, you know, Eden as she recorded Canaris saying all these horrible things about letting the population of London die of the virus, 
It's swooping in with the cure at the last minute. Yes. And then what does she do? She gives the recording to Bob Hoskins and he releases it all over the internet. And Canaris now looks like a fool and a horrible person. Not that he wasn't anything other than this leading up to this point in the movie. No, he was the entire film. But this movie ends exactly the same way that Escape from New York did. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I didn't Sid see. Pliskin's character recorded Donald Pleasant's who plays a president in that movie, saying horrible things about what happened behind the prison wall in New York. This guy literally ripped off uh-huh. so many films. And she does the same thing in this movie Sinclair does. The only difference is she goes back into yeah. Glasgow to become, I guess, the leader? But what's the point? I didn't understand. There Man. aren't any cigarettes, it looks like. Yeah, and that's the only thing she ever wanted I in mean, this entire film. She's like, give me a cigarette. But what now? What, what's feel, the whole point of her going back? I took back? it as she was just like a lone wolf the whole time. She never identified with anyone except Norton, really. And so this was like, I took it as her new people, man. Is she going to lead the underground movement with no hope of rescue? And- Dude, maybe she tried some of that human flesh and was like, hey, I want some of that. Whatever Ugh. you guys were eating. Except next time. Make I it, don't make think barbecue sauce rare. would spruce that up a bit. Hey, they say human flesh tastes like pork. So if you yeah. like pork tenderloin, Chris, you might be on the path. Is this what you do on your National Guard weekend? Do you pick the weakest link and then roast him over a spit or something? I cannot confirm nor deny anything. Which always means yes. Said, so I plead the fifth. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although you mentioned Norton. Let's talk about Norton a bit. Norton. So he's like this sergeant that gets roped in to their quest to go beyond the wall and find the survivors. Well, besides- This guy um, kicks butt. Besides Sinclair's partner slash red, red shirt in the beginning of the movie, Norton is really the first soldier that we meet. That old movie trope of a woman leader being come into this special forces group is immediately disrespected because she is a woman. Yeah, it wasn't too blatant for me. She no, really But it was just enough on. of it for moviegoers to notice it mm-hmm. and for it to be a trope. And for speaking for myself, I can't stand that trope. Okay. I think that's just because we're millennials, man. Well, in, the, in this age of movies like uh, Wonder Woman and now Captain Marvel and even movies from the past like uh, Alien and Terminator, why even bother having this trope in films anymore? We, we've established that female characters can be strong. And they do. They can be independent. They can be in your face and whoop some butt. And she does. She kills 59 people in yeah. this. Like, that's insane. Kill count. Kill count. We actually watched that. I don't think we've watched a movie so far that has commanded subsequent viewings of other films. Yes. This whole thing, like, if you pull up the Wikipedia page, it's like, 28 days later, Escape Mm -hmm. from New York. And we were talking about this off air, but this movie is segmented into what we would consider Neil Marshall's favorite films, or at least parts of films. Because the first 20 minutes are, like, 28 days later, meets this Navy SEAL commando movie, and then it goes into Escape from New York slash The Warriors. It's like every time they pass through a barrier, like they went over the wall, and then they go into different places, that's like the new period that they enter in. I took it as, like, almost like a period through time. Anytime they get into, like, a big V, vehicle it's it goes into another movie essentially it, it is it's almost like you're watching three or four different films like the helicopter takes her to um the commando movie slash escape from new york the apcs carry them into the warriors mm-hmm. slash the road warrior the train takes them to braveheart land yes braveheart which, land which appropriately fitting it is in scotland 
Yeah, that was um, exciting. And then the Bentley takes them into Mad Max. The Bentley. I love the Bentley in this film. You know, I loved how it would sometimes be scratched up, and then another scene it wouldn't be scratched up. I get the feeling that the producers tried to get Aston Martin involved in the movie, but they said, like, well, are you a James Bond film? And they go, no. I'm like, well, you're not. Well, we don't want our car on your film. Goodbye. <laughs> what? Oh, this film wouldn't be the same with that car. No, I- the Bentley is so sexy. It's nice and black. But if I'm thinking British cars, I'm thinking Aston Martin because that's what James Bond drives. You know, he probably didn't want to rip off too much. He's already ripping off like four different films in this. So he's like, all right. Four is a conservative estimate, in my opinion. I'm just using the films online. Yeah, (laughs) but he does. That would be too much. I love the Bentley. Well, yeah, it it was our nice ex machina, though. Yeah, when they find the Indiana Jones-style vault full of all the things that are needed to save the day. There's the car and there's the cell phones. I mean, the next thing they were going to find was probably like, you know, a minigun from Predator. And like, all right, let's hold off everybody. At that point, I'm like, is this film really like... I knew there had to have been a scene There had like to that. have been some way to wrap it up and end it because yes. I think Neil Marshall fell into the George Lucas trap. Mm-hmm. Like, oh crap, I only have 15 minutes left of this movie. I've got to write in a deus ex machina right here. And he did. And George Lucas has a habit of writing Deus Ex Machina's every six minutes. It did work. If, that was a great car chase scene. It was a little bit long. Where it was I a little felt too mad They could have trimmed like maybe five minutes, six, seven minutes off of it. Because it's basically, um, for the people that haven't seen it, they're just trying to get back through the wall. And then Saul, who's our cannibal leader, literally it's like 10, 15 minutes of them trying to get inside this Bentley, like through the windows. And then St. Clair's just blowing away everyone. But the climax does do this well where it meshes the action we got from the previous sequence of the fight in the castle and escaping from the castle. Yeah. So this movie actually does a really great job of meshing together action sequences. It did not feel like I was watching a two hour long movie. I thought the pacing was well done with the action scenes. You know, the the tense moments, especially when they're in a hospital or Saul is interrogating Eden. Those were appropriately tense, and the actions were appropriately action-filled enough. Yeah, the interrogation pissed me off. I'm like, why won't you let her talk? And then she wasn't talking, and he's just, I'm going to punch you yeah, more. Yeah, I'm going to punch you in the ribs, and I'm going to bite you in the ear Tyson style. And, yeah, Mike Tyson, until uh, you tell me what I want to hear. Well, I can't tell you anything when you're biting my ear, dude. Right? Thanks for cracking all my freaking ribs, dude. I can't breathe. I love the. Uh, do you want to talk about the cannibal scene? Oh, God. So, in this movie, there is. Because I heard about this cannibal scene right when I saw, like, I was looking it up. And I was curious how they were going to do it. And I think, for me personally, I know you don't like the cannibal scene. I think this is the best rendition of a cannibal scene in my entire life I've ever seen. You know, up until this point in the movie, I didn't mind the gore. But this was too much. This, for me, put it over the edge. And I. I just tuned out and ignored the gore for the rest of the movie. They literally take a doctor, strap him to like a pole, and then just lower him down into a fire that they set. And he's just roasting. The makeup was incredible. You hear him screaming. But this is past the point of shocking an audience. This is more satisfying the director's lust for gore. Oh, and he did. It was great. I loved the gore in this film. It was because this is like a B film, and it's done very A style. And the score was just perfect. There's so much of this movie that's drawn out and is a bit unnecessary. 
This movie, I think this is more of uh, Neil Marshall's doing, but I think the lens flares are directly his fault. Yeah, he was like, embellishing mm-hmm. so much on like the buildup to the cannibal scene. It's like a rock concert almost. Yeah. And like the overdub of the track. There's the dancers with the poles and he's just grinding on them and they're doing their thing with him. It's it's more drawn out than it should be. That was my lens flare. And that, and that the was very much like- that was very much like Cyrus meeting the gangs of New York and the Warriors. That was what that scene was supposed to be. And if you look closely in the front row of the audience, you can actually see a baseball fury oh, that's in crazy. makeup and the no costume way. and everything. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. That's awesome. Yeah. They But shout outs, though, to getting 700 extras for that. See, yeah, that's intense. That's a lot of people. So, although on a him. budget this small, I can imagine they weren't paid much. Probably in sandwiches. Yeah, I'm I would guessing. hope. I would hope not from the the spit though. Yes, you saw that too. He's like Saul's just spitting everywhere. Well, I can admire the intensity that that actor is bringing to the character, and he did. Well, because when you see a movie like this where there is this underground like criminal gang in this post-apocalyptic world, the leaders usually fall into one or two categories. There's the benevolent kind of dictator that we see in Isaac Hayes' character from Escape from New York. And then we see the bombastic in-your-face attitude that Tina Turner brought in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Saul definitely falls into the Tina Turner camp. Definitely. He's but just I like do admire punching people. Well, yeah, he's punching people. Growling he's yelling like all the time. Like the second half of the film, he doesn't even like speak audible words. Well, he's he doesn't just show yelling. up until the climactic yeah. car chase. Which we knew he was going to show up. There was no other way because he, he ends, they just get on this train and away, and he just I punches one of his guys. I would have been fine with them leaving him on the train platform, and that would have been it. It was nice. And actually, another fun fact they did oh boy. two takes for that punch because he just random. He's so pissed off. Officer's like, Rah! and he punches his own guy. The second take, he broke the dude's nose. Oh, jeez. So he actually, that's like a Harrison Ford move from like the new Blade Runner. Apparently, they did like 90 takes, and he actually hit Ryan uh, Gosling the last take right in the face. Well, I believe it. I would be mad too if I'm Harrison Ford and I'm being made to do 90, 90 takes, takes of one punch. But they only- I would have just looked at the director and be like, I'm 75 years old. I got Reader's Digest to get through. Let me out of here. I think that might have been the take they used in the film, too. Where he actually punches him? Yeah, he actually punches Because his reaction is like, oh. Well, getting back to Doomsday, there doesn't seem to be any scenes that were ad-libbed in this. No, he's it very was, tight. Yeah, it seemed tight. like the the actors were given strict instructions not to go off script because it's very. This is a very serious movie, in spite of all the silliness that's surrounding it. The blood squirting every the gallons. It's like of blood it's like flying out. Are packed with literally ten gallons of blood packets on them, and you get one bullet and you just explode. Yeah, apparently every bullet hits a major artery or organ and just balloons blood all over the place. Maybe in the future they inject like little explosives in people's bodies so if they tried to leave poof this movie's insane this is very much a society of haves and have nots because after the reaper virus has decimated scotland things just go worse in london in the uk yeah because the world turned their back on them yeah and i would have liked to have seen more of this society divide in this movie because it's mentioned by the higher ups in the government but we don't see it much we see that initial police raid in what looks like the undergrounds where we they find the closet full of the dead and dying people of the reaper virus but we don't see much else beyond maybe people in not as nice clothes as the government yeah, I was happy that they strayed from that because I would have been 
bored sick if they like started making it into a political thriller. Well, I didn't feel like there were there was much of um, an urgency with the Reaper virus. No, they, in terms of London, yes, they found the room full of the dying people, but it wasn't much of a threat until after Sinclair gets captured and we're starting to see dying people on the streets of London and then we're reminded oh, oh yeah there's, oh, yeah, this, there's this threat that's going on that well that's exactly it while I was watching it's like wait what's the overall threat and then they keep flashing back to the cops and they're like oh yeah there's this reaper virus still going on that's the point of the film to get the cure not just to watch her kick ass this is a kind of a trope in other films like this where there is a virus on the loose where the commandos did find that room full of dead and dying people first group of commandos exits and then we see a second squad run in with a bunch of flamethrowers and just sanitize the room in. And that's just it. <laughs> yeah, you know, in Iwo Jima style. Right. There's no precautions. They don't do it locked down. No quarantine. Oh, no, this virus might spread. Oh, no, fire. <sighs> like blood just explodes on someone and then they just kill him. All right. This can't be an airborne pathogen. The, yeah, if that's the case, this virus spreads super crazy quick and super easy virus like this rarely spreads through blood to skin contact unless there is like an open wound yes or it gets into your eyes or your mouth or something like that but it, it does not spread just by a you know a bit of blood hitting your skin that was my so that was my quirk so in this film saint Clair has this eye that's her ex machina for everything she has this eye that she pulls out and has a camera linked to her watch so she can like peek around the corner which is amazing it reminded me of a b film because she just like takes this fake eye and then bloop pops it back that eye is fondled by so many people that pick it up it's on the ground rolling around in blood and she just wipes it off puts it back in this woman's immune system must be insatiable yeah i would have washed that like did, no hiv <laughs> like, i would have just been carrying around like wet wipes or something and right? just you know sanitizing that thing every 30 seconds but she just keeps picking it up just bloop Put it right back in. It not even it doesn't even make that sound. It makes that horrible squishing sound that's I not necessary. Know. Yeah, there isn't a sound in the world that naturally is making that. And I think I think the Foley artists use like jam and celery to make that. But you know, there's no sound when somebody with a glass eye is popping it back in. Not that I've seen. Yeah, in not my that, life. I mean, I don't know anybody with a glass eye, so I can't say for certain what that sound is like. But <laughs> I can't imagine it squishy. That would be funny, though, if it was in real life. Although, speaking of the blood spattering all over everybody, we have another entry in somebody not doing their job this week. Yes. At the beginning of the film, when all of the people are trying to do a mass exodus through um, the wall at the England-Scotland uh, border, there is a bone man who, unfortunately, is afflicted with a reaper virus, and he is discovered. You know, his jacket is ripped off, and he's covered in boils and all that and then this national guardsman or soldier just spreads the group around and shoots him with 20 bullets and there's collateral damage behind him and apparently he's loaded up with blood packets and is just spurting on everybody behind him everyone and there's just no you know repercussions no ramifications for that let's it affects just... dozens of others and in turn leads to more shooting let's paint more yeah where that was one of my things i'm like where's the ammo in this do they just have like a surplus of ammo that's what that's what london invests in Sean, that's a movie rule nobody reloads nobody ever reloads. even john wick has 30 bullet clips but that's just like my military mind always thinking like for example this was my quirk when she when st Clair walks in and meets like the gang the only person that salutes her is the corporal the female and it's indoors i'm like why are you saluting indoors and why are you saluting her 
when the sergeant outside shakes her hand. It just it's a military thing. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. I For any understand. military oh, I listeners it. out there that, that just bothers me. I'm like, what's wrong with you? She's an officer. Know when to salute people. Yeah, exactly. Especially not indoors. I'm like, who is in charge? What is going on? When we're meeting the gang, though, what was your thoughts on their quote-unquote futuristic tech and body armor? Oh, my gosh. I loved it. It reminded me of Tron. Like the old school <laughs> Tron. And I loved like how- the Like the day glow stuff? Yes, yes. I was like, dude, this is like Tron. And I loved how they wore the helmets. And it immediately reminded me to- of like an overcautious mom who gives all this gear to her 11-year-old who's going to try skateboarding for the first time. It was here's so Here's your amazing. chest protector. Here's your shin guards. Here's your knee pads. Here's your elbow pads. Here's your wrist guards. Here are your gloves. Like, oh my God. Like, what part of you isn't covered with pads? I think that was their take on like futuristic armor. But it was so hokey. But we only, the only thing that we're introduced in that's actually used is the foam grenade. Yes. The and foam, I wanted more use of the foam grenade. That was so cool. It just explodes and bloop. And they're them. safe in the foam in the elevator. They are. They can, But they can get out of it nice and easy. Like, but it's used the one time in the movie and we don't see it again afterwards. Oh, that would be interesting. Like, what if you threw it at someone, they would just boom. Be encompassed in this ball of foam. Yeah, and apparently, apparently it's non-lethal, so they no. could just be like, "I am minorly inconvenienced." <laughs> just put it on one of the motorcycles. Oh, that would have been a great scene. Yeah, she just throws it out in the road, and one of them like just goes like. <laughs> Saul's just looking back at it, like, "What was that? Was that foam?" That man, his his priorities were just so messed up. He, he so he's pissed off at his dad, Kane, who they're trying to find. He's like this doctor that was working on a cure, and he had two kids. So Saul became the cannibal, and so he finds out that people are from over the wall. He's like, "Oh my God, there's a society out there now. Let's get over the wall and kill them all." It's like, wait, what? Your life has just been shook, and the first thing you want to do is kill everyone? Yeah, and did you happen to not see the automatic big old sentry guns that are on the wall? Yes. That apparently are being the only way for the audience to realize that they work is by redshirting a poor little bunny. That poor bunny. That bunny exploded. It It was like it was made of cherry jello. That was the that was it. It was just jello and its exterior was just the fur. We don't need that scene. We don't need to see an innocent little bunny sacrifice just to show the audience that these freaking guns actually work. They're big and they're loaded. That's all you need to do. And there's dead bodies peppered everywhere. So it's they like pan over the body and then they see this rabbit. Aw. Yeah, that's all we win is Aw. And then all the cows show up. And they murder a cow. Yeah. Once like what does Neil Marshall have against barnyard animals? I know. This these films we're reviewing, the brutal murder of animals, man. Well, it's you know, back to back weeks we get, you know, Bill the Mule gets red shirted for absolutely no reason and turned into gruel. And now we get, you know, the cute little bunny and we get the calf who's you know run over and turned into cream by the acp maybe apc i mean apc maybe you wanted to uh reference monty python and the holy grail (sighs) with the holy hand grenade explode okay well that bunny was evil (laughs) that bunny was evil that's the only time where i will say in a movie a bunny had it coming And then getting back to Saul here, I mean, he's he was all over the place. I he mean, was. What's with the gimp in the corner of the torture room? Oh, the uh, BDSM guy? Yeah. Yeah, I saw. I chalked it up to a B-movie type quirk. They they have to. But you then know? he gets red-shirted in the climax, too. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah. What happens to him? I he gets... Sterling looks out the window and goes, oh, you like pain? And then <gasps> yes! he rams him off the road and then into the truck and then he just... He's, 
dead and on fire. That's right. Because she said, oh, you like pain. And then my brain was like, wow, that's like a Pirates of the Caribbean line. Try wearing a corset. Oh, I'm God. like, oh, she gets all the cool lines, though, Sinclair. Yeah. The entire film. They just wrote dialogue for her. I wish Norton was a bigger part in this movie. I wish he didn't go away for 15 minutes to babysit Sterling. Yeah. he. It was weird because you didn't know how to... Ta- I didn't know how to take him at the beginning. And then like once we figure out like they get on the train and then the medieval time they really flesh his character out and you're like wow this guy's really cool i like him if they ever produce a like a television prequel mm-hmm. i would want norton to be the main character he was a cool he character. wasn't in the best situations in this movie but he he was well-rounded he had some of the best action while sinclair yes she is take charge and she tells people what to do norton the whole time is just like i'm gonna do my thing and i'm gonna look cool doing it and he's probably the only character in the movie who doesn't get a gruesome death. No, he does not. He, he gets a very honorable Boromir. death when they're in the middle of the deus ex machina moment. It's a Boromir style. Yes. Just shot down by arrows, baby. Yeah. You mentioned this. If he had, if that last arrow had gotten him like through the eyeball or something, yeah, it would. we wouldn't have had a lot of respect for his death. It would have. It would have taken away. I was just hoping at that point, I'm like, dude, this film is hokey i'm like hey, what else just throw it on me yeah Give it was all the it's gore. like a john carpenter movie without actually being directed by john carpenter yeah it's it reminded me of friday the 13th it's yeah the all the gore. brutal murder and then with the chick in the bathtub with her boobs and that was like the opening 10 minutes of the movie that's another trope thing too yeah it was just random i when i saw that i'm like oh is this gonna be one of those films where everyone's naked and there's gonna be sex scene but it's no, like this the, is gonna be starship troopers all over again i yeah i i couldn't understand why they threw it in but she does get to kill a bunch of guys with a shotgun out of a bathtub which was kind of dope yeah that was cool but then she gets red-shirted, too. She does get red There's a lot of red shirts in this film. Oh, God. So cool. That's like Saul's girlfriend. Uh, what's her freaking name? Viper. Viper. She, so she's on the poster of yeah. the film. And you're like, ooh. The, and she's got killer tats like all over her face. She looks really cool. But she's killed off in like five minutes. Yeah, she's got cool moves and the whole like tattooed like dirty thing that was working for me it, it was that's that's the type of women you like i mean i won't say it's not well now we have an insight into chris's <laughs> love life is well <laughs> this is a new side no my girlfriend looks nothing like that but <laughs> it's the dream it's i there's opposite spectrums for me i don't discriminate oh way to be well-rounded chris <laughs> you've done so well in our time but her her death is so cool she gets decapitated i think she's our first decapitation of the film probably and it's done so very well but then she shows up because saul's crazy with her head literally duct taped to her body (laughs) i love that i love it's like it's it's like he sees her body like and she's also got a hand chopped off too i don't know if she saw that yes and you brought this up too how many hands do we see chopped off in this movie there's 10 15 25 30 it's like they only had two props and it was this guy's really good at making decapitated heads and hands so how are we gonna kill people chop their hand their head boom there's an inordinate amount of like severed hands so many so many it's from the beginning like his hand getting trapped in the door one of the guys, like his fingers yeah, are stuck. Yeah, and then stuck. some guy's hand gets macheted off a briefcase. We have that Reaper guy, a Reaper infected person in the government building chops off some dude's hand. Yeah, it's just that's like their first go. They're like, let's go for the hand. Chop off the hand. Everything else will follow. Yeah. That's what. All right. So if you were in this type of uh, environment, how many limbs would you lose, Chris? Well, hopefully none. 
No, you don't think I, not even a toe. No, this like this end of the world scenario is like too bleak for me. I would just take one peek outside and just be like, yeah, I'm gonna stay in. Yeah, I'm gonna bar the doors and windows. Like I'm staying in. I want to wait for help to come if it does arrive. And if, if it doesn't, well, then you know I've had I had a good run. Yeah, I have a surplus of Netflix on my phone. Exactly. That's if it, the internet doesn't go down. Hopefully, maybe it's only in the U.S. So you can if like, the internet pirate. goes down. Well, then I'll just like sneak over to the library and steal some stuff. There you go. It's not like they'll come after me with fines or anything. Right. <laughs> wow. Someone's checking out a book. Yeah, I'm saving it for the future. Oh, God, we'll slap it with some 50-cent fines. <laughs> and the books could be used for defense, so outstanding. There you go. Well, wh- who would you be in this uh, broken-down, virus-filled society? In this broken-down, virus-filled society? I'd probably lose a hand. <laughs> I might be the briefcase <laughs> you just guy. You go the automatic pessimistic route. I'm going to lose a hand. I'm probably going to lose a hand. Well, what hand are you... I don't want to say hoping to lose. What hand are you most willing to part with, I guess? I, I guess most willing to part with my left because I'm right-handed. Okay. So that would really suck, like, trying to drive a car or, like, right. But, hey, man. Well, if it's, you know, anarchy in the USA, I mean, you probably won't be driving no. too far. <laughs> <laughs> I could get a skateboard, steal a scooter from a kid. Or I, would, I wouldn't mind losing a leg because then I could at least use crutches. You still wouldn't gain any sympathy from anybody. You'd still be taken down real quick and probably hauled over. Over a spit if we're living in the doomsday universe <laughs> hauled over with spit <laughs> no hauled over a spit oh a spit i thought you were referencing saul because he does spit on literally everyone well he literally yells all of his lines of dialogue yes he's going to have some spittle on people dude that actor was hamming it up perfect example of ham so much ham it's like he walked into a deli and like i'll take all the ham <laughs> how did you prep for this ep- for this film i learned how to scream <laughs> Dude, his pipes were insane. Mm-hmm. Congrats on him. Kudos to him. Kudos to his character. I appreciated that. But then his father, we haven't talked much about Kane. Kane so if we got to talk yeah. about Kane. He's supposed to be this feared leader. Yeah. And but well respected. Yet he's leaving scores of his followers' bodies, like Christians, on the way into Rome. What message are you trying to send to people? I mean, and what visitors are you having come this way anyway? I couldn't understand it. Was that like a society or was it a vacation home? Because they have a gift shop. They literally was, have a gift shop. That seemed like a tourist trap slash destination. Right. How are we going <laughs> to- Where Kane see. just made himself the leader of you know Braveheart land. Right. He just took over. Because he was this doctor that was making mm-hmm. this cure. And then they trapped him inside Scotland. Yeah, but he just gave up he did. on society because apparently he's immune for whatever reason. But did you notice before Sinclair went out to battle the executioner that she had a moment to endear herself to Kane and she didn't take it? No, she did not. Because Kane was talking about, I've lost everything. I've lost my wife, my family. You know, what did you lose? And she had the perfect opportunity to say, like, well, I lost my mom in the last days of the infection. She sacrificed herself so I could get out safely. So, yeah, I know where you're coming from, dude. She had the chance to say that to him. And maybe the situation in the castle could have ended differently. Yeah. But she didn't take it. It's almost like she wanted to fight the executioner yes his name was telemon well i just took that as like a movement to the next scene action scene or she was just so like wound up like she Mm -hmm. was so shut she didn't want to have anyone know anything about her no emotion the emotionless hero yeah i don't know that was a weird scene she was just willing to 
resign herself to this big old fight in the courtyard. Gladiator style, baby. Yeah, and Kane was resigned to let the world be taken over by the Reaper virus. So in a weird way, they're both resigned to their fates. Sinclair's to her, you know, potential forthcoming death and Kane to the forthcoming death of the world. They were both so willing to accept yeah, death. Yeah, it's like all the people who are hopeful in this movie die in some way all of them with the exception of sterling and callie because apparently callie is immune i don't know there was so much like tension between those two characters mm-hmm. that they should have just like you know briefly kissed and then like okay we're good <laughs> a random kiss yeah because they mean each other by sterling falling on top of callie and there was yeah there was no love in this film i think the looks of the characters were played up a little bit but i think again i think this is more on the choice of the director because you had that lingering shot on uh rona Mitra's butt <laughs> which was really not needed no but come on it, I mean, it goes she's, well with the film Mitra is very good looking mm-hmm. but i don't think it's necessary at this point in the movie considering how like cool and commanding she is in a role this is not needed she's still at a, this point in the movie she's still like super hot so they're just like embellishing on her looks and he's just going all in on this film yeah it's like i like butts exactly he likes boobs and butts uh, i understood i was like whatever i know this film for what it is and it's i'm not gonna get upset over it i'm not that type of guy chris well apparently not you put you know what is it intergalactic know-it-all on your business cards that's no the world leader the savior of the world close enough that's right so with all that in mind let's talk about the legacy yes and how this movie did post-release not too well not too well this was not screened for critics upon release which is never a good sign and scotland hated the film because of their portrayal they're like we will not view it We are not subservient to London and England. They hated this movie. Here's how much that Scotland hated it. It wasn't even screened for BAFTA consideration. Well, do you think this film would deserve- No, this is not like, this is not like Academy worthy at all. No, I wouldn't even say the makeup. I mean, that was its sole nomination for a Saturn for makeup, but I wouldn't know. No. no, 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 no. If this was nominated for a BAFTA, I would be like, what is this world coming Doomsday to? Doomsday barely made up its budget. Yeah, it was like $22 million mm-hmm. worldwide. So, But it also didn't have... It was super limited with the release. It, it wasn't yeah, really there was a lot up. of internal strife uh, with Universal, and I think uh, Rogue Pictures was the other one. They couldn't figure out who was going to distribute it and market it. So I do remember seeing commercials for this and mm-hmm. just not being so excited for it because it, it was marketed as sort of a general run-of-the-mill sci-fi horror action flick. In a lot of ways, that's what, that's what this movie is. It's Neil Marshall taking his favorite parts from his favorite movies and then just putting them on the screen. Like, look what I can do. <laughs> look at my passion project. I can make project. a good film too, George Miller. Look at me. <laughs> With lots of blood. Give me blood, severed hands, and heads, and I will make a beautiful Christmas present. <laughs> so let's say we rate the movie now. What do you say? I'm down. What do you rate Doomsday from 2008, Sean? So I actually would uh, host viewing parties to no. see <laughs> What? <laughs> So this is like an episode of The Walking Dead for you. You just I have a group of people over. Dude, what? I loved it. It was so all right. fun. All right, you got to. I look- could all the drinking games I could play with this film. 
Oh my gosh. Take a shot for every hand. I, I love this film. So that would be the only drinking game you would play is take a shot for every game, every hand that's cut off? Shot for every hand, double for every head. Oh wow. Dude, you'd be it would be impossible to make it in the, after like 20 minutes. I'd be, be interested to play that, not going to lie. But see? That's what I mean. It would, it's so great. If you love blood and gore and want to see the best cannibal scene ever, watch this film. You had fun watching this. I did not so much i was tutoring kids and i'm like watching on my phone i'm just like ah! and you can't show the kids what you're watching because no, then I couldn't. they're gonna be scarred for life like oh my god wait till wait, give it 10 years then watch it for me this would be a um not i am not nearly as excited about it as you are um this would be a would watch for me oh i'm shocked i thought it I would mean, be I, a would not. I didn't totally hate this movie like i said it does have its exciting moments mm-hmm. and me being a john carpenter fan i can identify with why neil marshall made a lot of the choices he did for this film but for me the gore is a little off-putting I understand. Um, and it's all over the place. This is like six different movies into one. So, it's crazy. And I could see that, especially because you like picking out the tidbits of, ooh, this was influenced by this. So it's yeah. kind of exciting seeing that, way hey, this is from freaking Leaving New York, Escape from New York. Uh-huh. So I could see but that. But I, I will say that it's well-paced. Like I said, this does not feel like a two-hour-long movie. It's the a action, nice ride. While frenetic and sometimes poorly edited, it is well done. It is. So... Yes, I would definitely call this a would watch for me. Rock on, If I man. see it on Sci-Fi Channel and it's edited glory, I'll give it a watch. Or if I'm just feeling like, hey, I want to just ruin my outlook into the future, I'm going to pop in Doomsday. I want to get depressed. Yeah. Though there is a unrated version. Yes, that's what I watched. Oh, you watch? I did not watch the unrated version. Lame. I couldn't. It wasn't there. You couldn't watch it in front of the children, you tutor. That's right. So I think that about wraps it up for Doomsday. What do you say we pick our next movie? Okay, I'm down, man. All right, we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha. Between 1 and 118, she has selected ooh number 76. So again, we're sticking with the year 2008, and we're going with the Pixar animated film, Wally. Oh, this is so cute. So we're going Love from the film. opposite uh, end of the spectrum in terms of violence and gore. There's hard, there is none to be had in Wally because you know why? It's a children's movie. Exactly. But that will be our movie for next time. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. So if you like that episode, please go to iTunes and leave us a five star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Colt, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.